Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know it's coming. Oh, yeah. Always hot and fresh just for you, my cold sports VIPs. We're going to award those who really acted bad. We're not going to give them the dolt of the month, though. No, 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 no. We're going to give them the dolt of the quota. Unfiltered, uncompromising, hard-hitting, inspirational, Cold Sports presents Conversations. Welcome to Cold Sports Conversations. I am Cole Johnson and I am so glad you're able to join us. Raw. That's what you want, right? Well, my next guest will provide all the rawness you have ever wanted and needed. My next guest is the host of the SmackDown Little Podcast and is involved in the wrestling industry. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dustin Burcham. Get ready for a barrel of laughs because this is our conversation. Dustin, man, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Cole. I'm uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. Now, two things caught me off off rip. A guy who actually wants to call himself a heel and be proud of it. And <laughs> on your show, I hit play, and I'm hearing the very first SmackDown theme song. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> so... If you, can, if you can decipher those lyrics, by the way, I would be more than happy to... Uh, uh, give you some sort of award on our show. Present that to you. Oh, okay, I would. <laughs> Eighteen years later, I still have a dish issue trying to decipher what the heck they're saying. <laughs> but if I if I can, I'll present it to you. Day when I can. <laughs> so, tell, tell us about yourself. Uh, I think you're from Mississippi. Yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, and where about Mississippi? Tupelo. Tupelo. So, I won't say near Memphis. It's, it's pretty close to Memphis. Uh, mm-hmm. We're only a few hours away from Memphis. Uh, see, the thing is, is uh, I'm actually from a little little bitty small community called Snowdown. It's 30 minutes from Tupelo, and everybody knows where Tupelo is. From Mississippi, a few hours from Memphis. Said you moved up to Missouri. Yeah. Uh, when did you move there? Uh, about a year and a half ago. Okay, so yeah, so okay, you, sir. you were built. Okay, all yeah. right. <laughs> who was your who were your influences in 
loving the business called wrestling? Well, when I was a kid, uh, <laughs> I barely remember some of this, but I've heard stories from other people. You got to remember, we're talking before kindergarten here, so my memory's a little hazy on it. I remember watching Hulk Hogan's cartoon on what I'm assuming was Saturday morning. Um, and I remember uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I used to have Hulk Hogan t-shirts and I used to have uh, Hulk Hogan socks that I took well into high school. Just because when, <laughs> when my mom bought them for me, they were way too big. And you don't waste no socks. <laughs> no. Uh, I had uh, little t-shirts and stuff like that. And uh, at some point, I think what had happened was I was I was up late one night. And we only had, uh, let's see, we had 4, 9, 12, and 27. We had four channels when I was a kid. And wrestling did not come on any of those channels in my area. So it took a while for me to actually see it. I mean, like I said, Hulk Hogan's cartoon came on, but that was about it. And uh, so I think it had to have been Saturday night's main event is the only thing I could figure out that uh, I could have seen. When I figured, Wait a minute, Hulk Hogan's real? <laughs> and then uh, as... Uh, as I started getting older and, you know, off a thing like that, you know, the cable, we didn't never have cable. We lived too far out in the country, so we had satellite. Uh, my parents got satellite TV, and then uh, uh, we were watching Hulk Hogan. Uh, I don't even remember who he was fighting. I just remember uh, sitting in front of the TV, and then when Hulk Hogan won, I was so happy. <laughs> and uh, little kid, I was I was a little early 90s Hulk Hogan kid, then... Uh, you know, I know Hogan went away after a while and then came back at WCW and turned heel and all that stuff. But um, I wasn't really watching then. Um, I think exactly whenever I started watching again. Because I was watching when the NWO came about because I think this was illegal, so I probably shouldn't be it. But uh, <laughs> WCW Thunder, which was, if you know about wrestling, crappiest wrestling show that... Uh, that that existed at the time uh, used to come on channel 27 and I remember because we didn't have that or anything at the time and and my family sometimes we had cable sometimes we didn't so we didn't have cable we went back to having our channels and I caught WCW Thunder one time and I couldn't catch it again so I called the TV station and said what time does that come on they told me what happens is because uh, I thought you know in the commercials and things that's all it comes on on Thursday or Wednesday which day I think it was Thursday and uh, so I called the station and I say uh, when does WCW Thunder come on and <laughs> they uh, they tell me we'll see what we do is is we tape it off TBS and then we play it oh, so that gives gosh. you a little idea of how rural the area that I'm in <laughs> oh, <laughs> our man. TV station is able to tape something off of cable and then play it on their network and nobody knows. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> but we'd watch, I'd watch Thunder when I could catch it. Of course, that was a Saturday. By then, I think it came on Saturday afternoon. And by that point, I'd got, I done got filled up on cartoons and I was ready to go outside and, you know, do kid stuff. Yeah. Good old days. Yeah. Yeah. Good old days. <laughs> and see, it, it 
I, I always found this amazing just when talking. It's like Hulk Hogan and influence, yet you love the heel aspect of wrestling. So, okay, how does that work? See, I was a superheroes kid when I was little. I loved Power Rangers. I loved Batman. Batman was my jam. I loved Power Rangers and I loved Batman. And uh, what else did I like? Ninja Turtle. Used to love Ninja Turtle. And for some reason, like I've tried to watch it today, and I can't find the old cartoon anywhere. But I used—I remember I used to love the Tig. <laughs> and uh, now, you know, Hulk Hogan was basically his gimmick and his over-the-top personality was basically a '90s Saturday morning cartoon superhero that was brought to real life. Yeah, true. I. I- and his matches were written just like a, a superhero fight. Every Hulk Hogan match, you, I can tell you how it's going to go down. Hulk in the <laughs> ring, the bad guy's going to beat the piss out of Hulk. And then he's going to start hulking up. He's going to start hulking up. And then while he's hulking up, you can't hurt him then. And then he's going to point his finger. He's going to knock him down a couple of times. He's going to hit the leg drop. And then he's going to pin him. Yeah. Hulk yeah. Hogan's going to win. Yeah. yeah. Stretch, <laughs> yep. Stretch out at about 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, that is your typical Hulk Hogan match, yeah? <laughs> I think what happened was um, I think probably back in the day, Xerox copies were probably a lot more expensive in the early 80s, or in the mid 80s than they are now. And I think somebody accidentally uh, spent too much money uh, Xeroxing copies of that main event. And so uh, um, what happened was they started <laughs> they just used, they just passed out those copies at every show and said, well, we're going to have to use this till we run out because we can't afford no, I'm kidding. WWF was huge back then. Yeah, they were. <sighs> a stupid joke. It didn't work. I'll acknowledge it. <laughs> it sounded funnier in my head. Hey, that happens. Yeah, that happens. I digress a lot, if you can't tell. Oh, yeah. So, you were... So, you were talking about Hogan being an influence to you, yet here you are, Ray Heel, in persona. And... Yeah, just having that having that correlation, okay, that threw me for a loop there for a second. Well, he hooked me as a kid. Stone Cold brought me, got me back as a a teenager. Okay, that that there we go. So I was right. <laughs> who was the who was the charismatic heel that made you say, you know what? I think I want to travel down this road. And yeah, Stone Cold definitely the guy, especially around '96. Yeah, Stone Cold got me to watching again. The one that made me want to do it was uh, Jim Cornette and uh, oh, Jimmy Hart. Oh, that's interesting. Managers, okay. So, so when you were younger, did you uh, did you look at how the managers did their thing then, or is this is the appreciation of managers as you got older? Well, as I got older, like whenever they were on the show, I thought like especially I saw a lot of Jimmy Hart in uh, WCW and uh, early WWF and. He, you know, he had his megaphone and he was obnoxious and running all over the place and just full of energy. And I was like, this guy, I can't wait to see him get his kick with this guy. <laughs> Something about him I like. <laughs> and uh, as you can tell from the way I digress, as I have already in this interview several times, um, I end up with a lot. I have ADHD. <laughs> and. I can channel that and do something similar to what these guys are doing and still make it my own. 
and that's what uh, that's what led me to him because he was he was always talking. He was always hyper. That's this guy would cut a promo in the middle of a match on his little megaphone, and he never shut up. Like you could hear the crowd, you could hear the commentary, but then in the background you can hear Jimmy Carr on his megaphone. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was thinking if I could be a bad guy. They could just get on people's nerves because that's the thing that my family does. My family, especially to each other, we have a way of expressing. What's the word I'm looking for? Expressing. If we like you, we're going to pick on you. We're going to piss you off, and we're going to we're going to get on your nerves just because that's how my family has always been. <laughs> and so it's like I could go out here, I could piss these people off, I could get a whole crowd riled up, and then like come in the back and laugh about it. Now you mentioned uh, Jim Cornette, and by the way, he's one of my favorite managers, personalities. <laughs> period. Uh, what about his style that uh, that intrigued you to him? Because uh, I think you mentioned a little bit of it with uh, your description of Jimmy, Hoff, the guy that can run his mouth and upset people just by the mere mention of his presence and what he had to say. So, what drew you to uh, the Louisville Lip? <laughs> my favorite thing about Corny is uh, he could cut a 30-minute promo in five minutes. <laughs> if, if he talked at a regular speed, you could stretch him out. Somebody should do that on YouTube. Take a Jim Cornette promo and slow oh, it gosh. down to about average speed and just see how long it is. But he could take he could talk and say he could he could take a, a, a at least a 10-minute promo and get it done in two. And, and not skip a single word. But he was, he was intelligent enough when he spoke that you could understand everything he would say. But then he had that, that southern drawl that was annoying and everybody hated <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and that's what I liked about Cornette. I just really, when I first started watching him now, it took me a while to understand what a manager's role is. And, uh, that kind of thing because watching it is just a fan that don't know because you think you know about the business until you get in the business and then some find out a little quicker than others that they don't know a thing but I can assure you everybody that's getting in the business for the first time you don't know and you don't realize that you don't know anything you think you've got an idea but you don't know a thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it might take you a little while to understand that you don't know anything once you do, that's when you can learn, and that's when you're going to start getting good, and you're going to stop being a job. But anyway, I digress once again. Hmm. But uh, as a fan that was just watching the shows, didn't know anything about what a manager does and um, what a manager's actual role is in a match, um, Jim Cornette and the way he talked, really, uh, I enjoyed that. And then even after... I got into the business and started understanding this is my role. This is what I'm supposed to do. Aha, stuff is starting to click. Uh, I can still create Jim Cornette because then I can see all of the little things that you don't see as just a fan. And then be like, this this guy was legit. And he could, he, it would, I would say either Paul Heyman or Jim Cornette would probably be the greatest manager of all time. And I would be torn on having to pick but I think if Paul Heyman had not had ECW, because that a lot of people's love for Paul E goes back to. 
But I think if he had not had ECW and he'd just been Paulie dangerously the whole time, I think a lot more people would be acknowledging either Jim Cornette or maybe Bob Rain Heenan as the greatest manager of all time. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, th- those three for sure for me. Uh, so how did you actually get into wrestling? Uh, how did that happen? Um, well, <laughs> by hook or by crook, that's what ended up happening. <laughs> um, okay, so... You know, it's, I said when I was 15, uh, and I got my driver's license, I uh, started going to wrestling. I was, well, it really starts back when I was, uh, I think, 12 or 13. Uh, I was at the barbershop with, uh, and by this point, I loved wrestling. And uh, I was at the barbershop with my grandpa, and uh, they had a uh, flyer that was up advertising wrestling in uh, Boonville, Mississippi. And uh, Boonville is uh, the biggest town that was closest to uh, where I lived, which was Snowdown. So it was in Boonville, Mississippi. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's away from home. And uh, so, of course, I bugged and bugged my grandparents because it said every Saturday. So I bugged and bugged and bugged my grandparents until they... Uh, no, wait, I'm sorry. This was not in Boonville. I think this was in Tuscumbia, which is another little small community that's in that area so I bugged and bugged and bugged and bugged my grandparents until they took me so when they finally took me I had a blast and I didn't know who any of these guys were we, I had a blast and then they took me back the next week and then they weren't going to take me back every week so uh, I was like okay and I let it go for several years so when I turned 15 and I got a driver's license I wasn't a very popular kid in school and people I went to school with I thought pretty much and I didn't want to be popular with them anyway. Because, I mean, why do I want your approval? I don't even like you. Right. And the attitude that I took. I was a I was a bit of a douche, I guess, in high school. Per se. <laughs> Depending on whose perspective you're looking at it. Right. So, when I started driving, I would get in my little car. My Oldsmobile Cutlass. 1989. Talking, uh, uh this was... Uh, I'm thinking about 2002 <laughs> when I was driving my 89-wheel cuts. I would go to Boonville and uh, I would go watch wrestling because I moved from Tuscumbia to Boone. And again, it was uh, it was the promotion that would become EPW. That would be my home promotion eventually. I'd go there every week. Well, I was a kid that was buying his gas and didn't have a lot of money. And even though admission was only $5, that was a lot of money to me. So I'm just figuring out ways I can get in for free. So I paid like the first three or four weeks. But the whole time, like when the show wasn't going on, I was looking for an exit guarded by security too, <laughs> too well. Because I was like, I knew this building didn't have no alarms. I was smart enough to look around and see that if I open this door from the outside and come in, nobody me, I'm going to get in free. <laughs> and uh, trying to figure something like that out. But um, before we had MySpace and we had Facebook, um, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember a website called Angel Fire? Yes, I do. I had an Angel Fire. And I was a bit of a blogger. Even though nobody read the I posted it. Basically, I would... I would watch Raw and uh, Raw and SmackDown, and uh, I would basically review what had happened. And uh, so I wrote about when I got home. I wrote a little blog about uh, about this show because I and a lot of it too was just for me to read back and uh, all that good 
And uh, so I got the idea that if I could make these guys right, and instead of me doing the that I'm doing that nobody's looking at, and I could post there and help them advertise online, you know, the people can come see what time shows are going to be, what happened last week, basically a free program that instead of passing out programs, uh, you could get it for free online. I might talk them into letting me in the show for free. So the next week, I promote uh, the promoter was Edith Poole, uh, still the promoter, by the way, and uh, I approached her with this idea. Now, I didn't tell it like I'm just trying to get in free, <laughs> but uh, uh, she went for it. She bit. She took the bait, and uh, so I went every week and had a really good time and would do uh, their website, which was something I was going to do anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, for, <laughs> and uh, I got to get in for free. <laughs> well, years go by, and um, they had moved to, uh, there was a little sportsplex in Boonville, and uh, they had moved there. Uh, Edith had uh, left the bench a little bit, and uh, we had a different promoter. I don't oh, man, I don't even remember who the promoter was, to be honest with you, and if it is who I'm thinking it is, then he don't want me telling he was the promoter, because we were kind of secretive about that at the time. But um, the sportsplex had like back hedges, um, uh, pool tables, just all kinds of like sports related, I guess, games. They had the basketball thing like you have at the arcade. And in this other little room, it was set up like an arena and they put wrestling there, which I thought was brilliant, by the way, because it was we were running in the flea market by then and they moved it to there. So... um, I had been begging to be a commentator at this point. I'd been trying to get anybody to, to just let me announce. And so uh, they didn't. They, I, I was told I didn't have the voice for it. I was told I didn't know how to put guys over. And they, and, and they were right in some aspects. Um, so I was going to try to become a manager. So I went to training because they said you got to learn how to do all the bumps. So I went to training. And uh, one day of that, I quit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Training and wrestling is so that is hard. So then, I got the uh, the idea. What if I go to another promoter that don't know who I am and I lie and I say I don't train? Then I could be a manager. <laughs> so uh, what it uh, ended up happening? I left SGW. I had gotten into it with the Booker at the time. So I got the idea that if I go to some other promoter that don't know who I am and I say that I've been trained, that at least I get to be a manager. And uh, so that's what. I, I decided I was going to do. I'd gotten into it with the Booker at uh, at Boonville, which was called SGWA at the time. Um, and I quit that show, and I'd started writing for another website uh, because uh, that guy that ran the website would pay my admission to go to these shows if I would view them on his website. So I got the same thing for free. I just got to go to, you know, I got free. I just got to go to different shows. And there was a show in Corinth, Mississippi, uh, that was just starting up. And this is where I was going to go in and lie and say I'd been trained. Um, but I got there, and the booker was a guy named Justin Rhodes. So if you really want to start to pinpoint who's responsible for all this back home, <laughs> throw him under the bus. Uh, <laughs> the first one to give me a chance was uh, Justin Bumpy Rhodes. And, uh, uh, sorry, Bumpy. Uh, <laughs> so I came in the locker room 
which was the first time I'd ever uh, hung out in the locker because this time I went in and I, I figured if I was going to lie and say I'd been trained that I needed to act like it so uh, I just you know nonchalantly went to the back and got mixed in with all the wrestlers and got to talking to everybody which was something I'd never done before before this show and uh, it's about I'm getting ready to pitch myself to, to, to Bumpy but I know he knows that uh, I ain't been trained so I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna be able to lie to him but I didn't know he was the booker yet. So by the time I found out he was the booker, you know, I'd already been hanging out in the locker room for a while. I want to have to abort this plan because, you know, I can't lie to Bumpy because he he's going to know better. And he knows me too well. He could probably tell when I'm lying. So um, luckily that was not the case. The announcer that was supposed to be there no-showed the event. And so Bumpy's like, what I'm going to do and said dude I'll do it and he goes you're an announcer and I went yeah you didn't know that never announced before never (laughs) I never had I had no experience and I know that by the end of that first show he knew I was lying (laughs) he bought it at first but to his credit what he did was because what had happened was I got I was a natural freaking heat but the problem was, at the time, I was taken away from the matches because I was getting all this heat for me, and there was a match going on, and I should have been <laughs> commentating and helping get heat for this guy that's in the ring, you know, doing all the fighting. Right. But like I said, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Uh, I just like that I did. Uh, but what they, what I feel like what Bumpy saw in me was that I was a natural for getting heat. I just needed to figure out what to do with it. And uh, so he came to me after a couple of weeks of the commentary. I guess he finally was able to hire another announcer (laughs) to get me out of there ASAP. And he said, what I'm going to do with you is I'm not going to fire you. I'm going to make you a manager. And I want you to try this out because I think you'll be more suited for this role. So, uh, I liked it better. I was, man, I, he put me with a guy who, uh, is one of my best friends now. At the time, he was going by the name Damien Rage. Uh, he later adopted the name Richie Rage because his real name was Richie and, uh, I couldn't get out of that habit of calling him that because we were literally at that point in my life. Uh, after the Booker stuck me and Richie together, we just clicked. And then for years, you didn't see one of us without the other, even if you went to our house. So we we just we were we in a way we were like Beavis and Butthead. We were just always around one. Um but Richie really helped me uh he doesn't get enough credit. That's one thing. Richie's very small and I love the to death. I'm not knowing him right now. Um I love the man to death. But he's he's got to be if he's an inch, he's probably five foot one. And that gets him a lot of guys don't take him seriously in the business because of size and uh that little dude is funny and he knows he knows the business and he knows psychology and he taught me a lot um now he wasn't the only one that would eventually teach me some stuff but he really taught me what to do to be the to be the heel that I would ultimately decide I did not want to be. 
Um, but the heel that he taught me to be was a very good heel to make money with. But it would eventually become the heel. Eventually, I would decide that was not the heel I wanted to be. And as we talked about, the heel I decided I did not want to be was the heel that everybody booed playfully because they know he's the bad guy and they're supposed to. Cool heel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, this is interesting. So, you learn psychology of how to actually draw the type of heat that you'd like. And, and for those who don't understand, heat means a very, very negative reaction. That's what it means. For those yeah. who don't understand the term. To piss off a crowd. <laughs> or, yeah, or, yeah, or in lamest terms, yes, to upset a crowd, exactly. So, yeah, the cool heel has been pretty much played out now. It started to me 20 years ago. And yeah, that it it's it somewhat bothers me. As, as a fan, it bothers the, me. I think it's played out in the Indies, but I tell you who could make a good cool heel. And that's wrong. Just turn it, but that's. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh, I agree. If, if the concept is done right, like how it was with the Rock in '98, if if you do the yeah. concept right, a cool heel is great. But you see, the problem is that. Um, you're right. The concept is great if it's done correctly like it was right. But the problem is, is that whoever they're going to try to do this concept with again ain't the rock. Exactly. I totally agree with you there. <laughs> you were seeing that this is not the type of heel that you want to be. Now, the other end of that is the heels that I know of that I, that I actually liked. Ones who really did not want to have the crowd like them for anything whatsoever. So it's, you know, for me, sort of like how, you know, how Paul Orndorff was, how, how, yeah. uh, Roddy, Roddy, Roddy Piper was the ones who just really got, really got the crowd wanting to say, you know what? I really want to be this guy bloody. Like classy Freddie Blassie too. Or, yeah. And in the manager's <laughs> realm, classy Freddie Blassie. Uh, that's favorite <laughs> lines. So what made you want to be that type of Honestly, I just think it, it, I saw the reactions I was getting. And at one point, um, I decided to reinvent myself because I'd gotten out of the business for a little bit. Um, and to be quite honest, when I, uh, I have to go back a little bit and tell you what got me out of the business. I'd learned YouTube had started becoming a thing and I'd learned how to edit video. And I wanted to uh, transition at this point from being um, an on-camera. If we go into TV, I, I got to where I want. I would. I decided I wanted to work more behind the scenes, and uh, I really had a enjoyment at that time for editing video and uh, making YouTube videos. And I was like, man, if I could apply this to wrestling, uh, we would have a hell of a show. So I started trying to they wouldn't let me work exclusively in the scenes because they wanted me where they had me but uh i'd gone back to epw and boomville and um i was doing the heel thing there that like i said i would eventually decide i didn't want to do um on screen but behind the scenes i was um i and of course i had people uh reese was there and uh this girl named tiffany was there and this guy whose name escapes me every time so i just call him slick uh, the, the four, the four of us started filming the shows, and the, they would they would do all of the hard work 
while it was live. I would direct it to the best I could. If something broke, I'd fix it to the best of my ability. Those guys, I don't think I've ever had opportunity to give them enough credit on that and say thank you to them, but they worked their off for that show and uh, never got the first thank you from anybody. Um, Just a heads up on that. Not mad or not sore about it or anything now because all those people are some of my best friends, but those guys had a lot to do with putting that show on television. It wasn't just me. I was just the loudest of the bunch. But um, we had a television show and then some things went down ended up causing us to lose our television show. And when we lost the television show, I was ultimately blamed for it. And on site, there was a lot of things that I did because I was a kid. I was in college at the time. Uh, I was still kind of a douche looking back on it because it's weird because you have some bad habits and you might be a bit of an and you don't think there's anything wrong with you until you meet somebody else that has some same habits. And then you think to yourself, man, like, man, I hate that guy. I hope I'm not like that. And then you think, oh, I am am like like that guy. (laughs) And that happened to me. I met somebody who was a similar douchebag. (laughs) That's what I was. And so that that had a profound effect on my life. (laughs) But uh, this was before that, obviously. Um, There was a lot of things I could have handled differently. uh, That if I had it to do over again, I would have handled differently. I was completely innocent. But uh, uh, it blew up. Uh, we went our separate ways. Everybody was mad at me, and I was mad at everybody else. And then, of course, there were guys that was on my side. And it was just, it was a big, it was a big deal, and it was hateful. And then a lot of hateful was said about me on the internet. This is how I learned about the dirt sheets and how everything you read isn't true. Um, there was a dirt sheet website, pretty much, that uh, in our local wrestlingnewscenter.com. And the promoter had been interviewed about me and the television situation, and had said some things about me that wasn't true. And I, and it, this was all getting back to me, like I had been offered money from another promotion, I'd been given a lump sum of money to shut it down, and all this stuff. And that never happened. What had happened was a kid got hurt. He was threatening to sue EPW. The kid wasn't even really hurt. So in hindsight, I could have been like that kid. And the thing was, that the part that really pissed me off was I was on their side the whole time. And I was having to vote. You know, I wasn't the only one that had a say in There were four of us. Actually, there was three of us that had a say in it, four counting the uh, president of the network. And what happened was I got outvoted. And I tried to explain to everybody, this kid ain't going to sue nobody. He ain't got no money. He can't afford to. <laughs> and uh, uh, nobody was listening to that. So uh, we ended up. WCB to show off the air and uh, when that happened that killed the morale of my entire crew and then they all left so now it's just me and uh, I got to tell them there's not going to be another sh- and then I deliver that message and I, I did not want to be at the show for the next few weeks I was planning on coming back but I wanted to take some time off because running a television show and going to school and working and all that other stuff and goes with it I, I was burnt out and I just wanted a few weeks off well I take a few weeks off and I started live streaming and things like that and one of the people asked me in a live stream that I was doing uh, live streaming at the time a blog uh, blog TV was becoming a thing it's defunct now but uh, back then you didn't play
play video games when you live stream. You sat around and you with your friends and you talked to people in the chat. And uh, so that's what we were doing. And uh, the, the one of the cameramen was sitting there with me and and I said when we're doing a show, we were talking about something that he had done that pissed me off and we, you know, we were just talking about it. And uh, he said, well, one of the bookers at EPP at the time had told him to do that. And I said, I don't get You listen to me. You don't listen to him. Him. And so by the time I said him, because you listen to me and not him, that blew out the out of freaking proportion, and it ended up everybody's mad at me. So now I'm not going back to EPW. And like I said, all this started coming up on the dirt sheets about I said this, that, and the other, and that never actually happened. <laughs> and it pissed me off. So when people contact me to get a rebuttal, I was so burned out, and I was just as mad at them for posting because. Uh, you know, I was shooting innocent people at that point. That I, I wouldn't give my side of the story because I'd tell man, you, I'm not doing it. And wouldn't tell my side of the story. Um, which would benefit me later on. So I take a few years off and uh, I get approached by one of my best friends, Dirty Terrell Mo. Um, and I love Terrell the way Terrell. <laughs> at the time, he was this little skinny kid going to start promoting and he asked me to come in and just be his ring announcer and uh i told him i was like man listen i love you and this is how you know i love you because i would not do this for nobody else <laughs> and that was the truth Terrell brought me back as a uh ring announcer so all i had to do was stand in the middle of the ring tell everybody's height and weight and turns out i was good at that now we're going to get into it's really hard to talk about <laughs> So, uh, I started doing the ring announcing with OWO, which was Terrell's show, and uh, it was a lot different than being in that production that I, I had been in before when I got mad. And I started remembering why I loved this. <laughs> These shows were drawing a different audience than the EPW shows, and it was well known that I had heat with EPW and that I would never, ever go back to EPW. And uh, I was, at this point, I was still doing the shows, but I was still reluctant. Like, sometimes I would show up, sometimes I wouldn't. And that was part of the thing I told Terrell. If I show up, I'll be there. And if I don't, I won't. I wasn't going to commit to anything because I didn't, I was, I, at the time, I didn't want to do this anymore. I had enough. I was pissed off. So uh, I took that pissed off and I'm. Um, there was a man named Gene Jackson, who was another wrestling podcaster, and he was the first wrestling podcaster in our area. Um, before podcasting was called podcasting, he was on Blog Talk Radio, and it was Cheap Heat Radio. And uh, he was getting, and I loved his radio show, so he was getting ready to retire. Uh, not retire, but he was getting ready to quit Cheap Heat Radio, and I loved listening to GP Radio. So I to take it over as the new host, which didn't work out because his audience didn't like me. So, but uh, Gene, I was interviewing Gene, and he said something to me. He told me a story that would forever change how I went about things in business. And I don't think Gene even realized because I've never told him this. He told me that what he used to do with when him and Neil Taylor were running the roads, but when him and Neil Taylor were running the roads, they knew that you could sit in the back of the locker room and guys, boys tell their girlfriends things. 
and then their girlfriends are sitting in the crowd talking to other girls and people that are in the crowd and then it leaks to the crowd that way that I oh, see that guy he's really nice in real life he's not really like that so that's how you get that blue heat that uh, they're booing you because they know they're supposed to and you're the bad guy and they're going along with it. So what they used to do, because they liked having old school heel heat, is they would be just complete from the time they walked in the locker room till the time that they left. And then what would happen was the guys would go and tell their girlfriends, now that guy is a and I hate him. And then they would get good heat. And then when they genuinely hate you and they genuinely despise everything it is you're doing, Satan himself could come out of that curtain to kick your and they're going to genuinely love him. And it took me a little while to master this technique of about how big a do I need to be behind the scenes. Because I came back in, and as soon as I came back, I had a lot of heat with a lot of guys, and uh, it would lead to uh, sometimes fights and things like that. I had a bad attitude at the time as well, and like I said, there was a lot of things I was trying. I was purposefully trying to be a in the back because I wanted it to leak out to the audience that I was in, uh but at the same time, I didn't know how far to go with that yet. And uh, Bumpy had taken over the books at EPW and Boonville, and he wanted to talk to me. And I was like, I don't know, man, because they hate me there. So I met with him, and I met with Edith, and I, you know, I basically, that's our, uh, look, I just said, I'm sorry for how I acted. I miss you guys, and I know I shouldn't have acted that way. And, you know, I was, it was, you know, we just basically, we were, we were friends again. I forgot why I was mad, and it was like old times seeing the people that, I clicked with because I had been to these other shows and as much as I love to rail and as much as I like OWO, there's a lot of guys in that locker room that I didn't click with. And there was a lot of guys in all these other locker rooms I didn't click with, but at EPW, I seemed to click with everybody. And when I would work these other shows, it would feel sometimes awkward. But when I would work EPW, it always just kind of clicked. I knew how to crowd. That was my comfort zone, I guess. Bumpy proposed to me a storyline where I, they're basically introducing a new commissioner, somebody that's coming in, and uh, he's going to take over the show from Edith. Uh, and so we came up with a storyline where the, uh, some of the heels, again, they were basically suing Edith and EPW, and then the Mississippi State Athletic Commission was taking Edith out of power at EPW uh, while this lawsuit was in place. And so they were appointing, basically, a new commissioner to come in and take over the show. And uh, the day that I debuted as the new commissioner, um, I did not get to the building until about three minutes before I was supposed to be going out. Nobody knew I was there. As soon as I came out of that curtain, and as soon as they introduced me as the new commissioner, that crowd hated me. And that was the best feeling in the entire world. I describe it as, have you ever heard of a guy named Ty Cobb? Yes, I have. Have you seen Cobb with Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah, I've seen it. 
Now, do you know the scene where he's standing there in front of the crowd, smiling with his arms up in the air as all of this trash lands around his feet, and, he, and they're screaming and cursing at him, and he goes, listen to that. They love me. They can't live without me. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that is the best feeling. That is what made me think of that when I first came out. It's my first promo, and I basically said, for those of you who don't know, and I introduced myself, and then I took everything that they had said about me on those websites, on those dirt sheets, and uh, everything like that, and I said, and basically said, yeah, I did it, and now I'm going to finish the job, because now I'm running the show, and nobody can stop me. And, uh, so that gave me that kind of realistic heat, like, oh, he's now admitting that all this <laughs> And, uh, so we turned it into a storyline, and that's when I started, uh, coming up with different ways to make money. As we talked about earlier, I started selling gimmicks, even though it wasn't gimmicks with my face on it. Um, by this point, I was older, and I was getting more creative on how to make money, so we were selling gloves and all this other stuff to, uh, bring in money and I figured out that uh, whoever came out and kicked my ass after that, Gene Jones, right, they genuinely loved whoever came out and kicked my ass. Mm. I felt like it was well received. I don't give a damn what Dundee said about it, but uh, Bill Dundee is the only person that didn't like that that angle. And uh, I started getting ready to squash it just because I was trying to take his advice on stuff. But I mean, it got over, so how does he know? That's all that matters. If the storyline goes yeah. over, that's that's really that's all that matters. The reason it's called SmackDown Load, I almost didn't call it that. Because I thought that name was corny. But the more I looked into it, every other name I could think of was taken by somebody else's podcast. I think I was going to call it Cole Sports at one time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Every uh, name I with was taken. So, uh, and my wife really liked the name, so I was like, eh, maybe it'll grow on me. And now it has. Now I'm glad I did it because it's grown on me. But it was just a way that I could get back into the business that I wanted to be in. At least as close to it as I could get for now. Now, before we go, do you have any parting shots, words of wisdom, or anything? that you'd like to say to my VIPs? Um, concerning the business, um, would say when you get in, if you want to get into this business, first off, don't. That's my first advice. And, uh, <laughs> if you get beyond that, my second piece of advice is don't. Um, and if you make it beyond that and you just can't freaking listen, I'm going to say, you're going to need to, if you're going to be a success in this business, you're going to need to, to learn to do the thing that you just did, you didn't just do, and that's listen. So, you got to listen to these guys, man. These guys that have been in this business know what's going on. So, when you first come in, it's like I said, you think you know, but you don't. You, you don't know, Jack. Well, there you have it. Ladies and gentlemen. The host of the SmackDown podcast, Dustin Bircham. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time, Dustin. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Cole. I really enjoy it.
That was the host of the SmackDown podcast, Dustin Burcham. It was a pleasure to actually chop it up with him, talk about wrestling, and get those stories. I just love those wrestling stories. It's riveting. It really is. Thanks to Dustin for his stories and spending some time with Cold Sports. If you happen to like this episode or any episode you've heard thus far, a regular show, a special, or an interview, why don't you come follow me on Twitter at Cole underscore sports. That's sports with a Z. You can also follow me on Facebook, Cole Sports. That's sports, again, with a Z. Make your voice heard. Make your presence felt. Come on down to the Cold Sports VIP room. Search in groups, Cold Sports VIP room, sports with a Z. To my Canadian friends, I got you. Sports with a Z. You can also follow me on other social media platforms galore. Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, YouTube, Google+, Acast, TuneIn, Blueberry. Like, share, rate, review, subscribe. Thank you for retweeting. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for liking. We appreciate it here at Cold Sports. More importantly, follow me and my show on ColdSports.com. That's ColdSports.com. You can check out any and all of these episodes on ColdSportsWithTheZ.com. No matter where you hear this, how you hear it, or when you do, the one thing I want you to do is always... Enjoy the content. For the Intelligent Sportsman, I am Cole Johnson, bringing you sports on another level. And this is yet another Cole Sports presentation of conversations. And as always, keep the conversation going. You've been listening to Cole Sports with Cole Johnson. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.